Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. And once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, my buddy, my pal from the band Panthers, from the band, newly reformed band, Orchid, from the new solo project, Jason Green and the Jerks, and the new proprietor, of a fantastic bar here in Toronto, Doc's Green Door Lounge. Jason Green returns to the show for a yeah. This is a this is a raw conversation. This is just two people laying it all out there, and I'm excited for you to hear it. One second, because first, if you'd like to get in touch with me, head over to the email address turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail That is run by my brother and normally show producer, well, no, always show producer, normally guest booker, but I could handle booking this one all on my own. Uh, Tristan Abraham, thank you, Tristan, for all the hard work you do, and he will get the message to me. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram, at Damien. There is a TikTok page, a Facebook page, an Instagram page, and a YouTube page for Turned Out of Punk. All those can be found at Turned Out of Punk on those respective platforms. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it. Let them all know that you enjoy this podcast that we do. It's, it's, I'm, I'm, I think it's safe to say now, twice a week. I'm back to doing them twice a week. And, uh, yeah, spread the word. You can find out about the stuff I'm doing in my band. We are currently on tour. Go over to fuckedup.cc and check out where we're playing with Super Chunk if you're on the west coast of the United States when you hear this episode. I think when you hear this, we've got a few more dates. Uh, yeah, pretty sure. Pretty sure. Um, so see us on the road. Talk to me about this episode. Talk to me about all these episodes. Come out and hang out. Uh, also check out fuckedup.cc for records and merch and all sorts of goings on uh, with the band. Uh, yeah, all right, on to today's show. Today on the show, as I said off the top, someone has accomplished a lot since he got to Toronto and has accomplished a lot before he came to Toronto, but Jason Green, uh, someone that I, I've always been a big fan of, certainly someone who has had a lot of different places in music over the years, a bit of a, a Zelig type character showing up in all sorts of different places. Probably the only guy in the world that was asked to join Hatebreed, that is also part of LCD Sound System. I think I'm fairly safe in saying that. Okay. Anyway, Jason is someone who has uh, got a lot going on, as I said off the top. Got a new bar, Doc Screen Door Lounge here in Toronto. Reformed the Orchid, which is something that, uh, well, we talk about a lot in this episode. And uh, got this great solo record produced by James Murphy from the aforementioned uh, LCD Sound System. And it is released on DFA Records. I love this record. It kind of reminds me of like old Cleveland stuff. And and uh, anyway, you hear it. Old New York kind of dancey disco punky stuff. You'll hear it. And uh, it's uh, available to listen to on all social media platforms. No, all streaming platforms. I'm sure it's on some social media platforms too. All right. I'm not going to yammer on anymore. Check out uh, tour dates for Orchid where they're playing they've got a bunch of shows announced a bunch of them are already sold out you can also find out about uh, other stuff that jason green is up to on social media find him at this j green on instagram.com and if you just search this stuff but check out jason green and the jerks that's available on all those streaming platforms that i mentioned before 
All right, I'm not going to yammer on anymore. Check out Jason's bar. Check out the records. Check out all the stuff. Ah. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jason Green on Turned Out of Punk. Jason, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me. You're in the basement again. Yeah. How many times can I be in the basement? <laughs> Probably too many for, yeah. <laughs> for you. <laughs> for me, never enough. Oh, no, I you. love it. I love the basement. It's, uh, it's always, there's always interesting stuff to look at. That's for sure. Yeah, I'm always staring at your demo tapes. I got some... Uh, yeah, I definitely have some demo tapes on display. There's a, there's like an aesthetic quality to them that, that I'm glad they have because right now my last tape deck broke. <laughs> and so it's like, it is the worst format. It's a bad format. It's a bad format. But I do find myself looking and seeing ones that I also have and then seeing lots that I don't being like, I think I need those demo tapes. And I haven't had a working tape deck probably about 15 years. So. Have you ever seen that? I think it's like a Thurston Moore photo where he's like in a wall in front of a wall of tapes. I think it was like, no, I don't know if I've seen okay. it. Um, I don't know why it's very obscure. As I'm saying that I'm like, maybe you've seen this photo, but anyway, there's, he's in front of this wall of tapes. And I've always thought like, that was my dream is to have like a wall of tapes. And well, you're getting there. Yep. Yeah, definitely. My kids will have a lot of garbage to deal with. One yeah, day. that's the that's the the only gift you can give them is now you have to throw this out. Yeah, I really do feel like <laughs> all these things where I'm like, well, this is an amazing investment at twenty five dollars for this like random old demo tape. Yeah. They're gonna be like, yeah, pennies on the dollar at best. It's only gonna appreciate in value, kids. <laughs> yes, absolutely. There will be the riffraff demo. Well, welcome, <laughs> welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thanks, man. Glad to be back. Well, I'm very excited to have you back because your new record is uh, fantastic. Thank you. And you've got a bar now. Yeah. So, I guess the when I first moved from Brooklyn to Toronto, um, you know, I left behind like my whole social circle, my work. Um, and I moved up here and I had nothing going on. Like I, you know, I was basically just like going to Home Depot and doing laundry and running errands. Didn't really know anybody. Um, and so I started, I guess, started putting some irons in the fire, thinking maybe one thing would click off and then everything happened at the exact same time. So, yeah, now I, I've just opened a bar in the junction in Toronto called Doc's Green Door Lounge. Congratulations. Thanks. In few short months you've accomplished more than i've accomplished in 40 plus years i don't know i don't know if that's true <laughs> yeah. you put out a solo record yeah um well uh, you put out other solo stuff too but I yeah mean, to be fair that the the a side of that oh no i'm sorry the b side the b side of that record was recorded during the obama administration so it's that's been around for a long time we've just tried to figure out kind of finish the record and figure out a home for it and all that stuff so yeah 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 i'm happy it's out i'm happy it's out do you feel like the same sentiment about the b-side because the b-side's kind of cutting and you know there was a uh well i don't know for me it feels like that was a a different mentality than than now that i have personally i don't just for the world in the the world, world i mean yeah maybe i mean i was at that time I also, I have a a friend named Marcus who does a project on DFA called Shit Robot, which is great, by the way. If people haven't heard it, you should check it out. Uh, He has a new record that just came out as well on DFA. But he was putting out a record and he, 
he produces the music, but he doesn't, he's not a singer or anything. So he likes to have guest vocalists. And he asked me to do vocals on a song. And he was like, yeah, I just kind of want you to be ranting about, and he gave me some references, you know. So I wrote this long kind of ranty song and then sent it to him. And then he cut stuff out and cut it together. Came out great. We made a music video for it. That's really fun. That's um, on YouTube. Uh, and so a lot of this stuff that he cut became the lyrics to the B side of, it's called I need love, uh, of the new 12 inch. So there's a lot, <laughs> he is a DJ. I'm a DJ. And there was this feeling at the time that everybody on earth was a DJ. Uh, and I think I had, I, you know, you spend enough time in that world. You, it's easy to get jaded with anything. Um, but I had a line that said, it's not very cool to be a DJ in your forties and he's in his fifties. I'm in my forties. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, this isn't going in the song. And I was like, okay, fair enough. And then I, so I put it in my own song and then kind of built around that. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. I've always, I think we, we got a review in, uh, on Brooklyn vegan and it said something like being like a dickhead wise ass has always served Jason Greenwell as a vocalist or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> something along those lines. So, uh, yeah. I, it, well, cause it, it played to me almost like nostalgia for that time when there were too many DJ nights, when there were, when everyone was a DJ where you could go out and just club hop in a way that doesn't seem as viable now. Like where now you go out and sit in one place and, and kind of like, uh, maybe because we're just, I'm, I'm older too. Yeah, I think that's probably, I mean, it's definitely like DJ culture is still really huge and vibrant. And there's lots of, I mean, there's young people doing it all over the place all the time. And we, but where the bar that I'm at, it's in the, this sleepy neighborhood called The Junction. And there's a warehouse behind that has like raves every night. Yeah. I mean, like people are, it's still, ha I mean, it's still happening. Kids will find a way, but I think it's harder now in terms of finding venues to do stuff. Could be. I mean, I don't know. I always, I found this, I had that feeling in, in when I was in Brooklyn and I was kind of like, oh, there's all the venues have closed, like all the kind of independent venues. Then you realize that there's, of course, kids are fucking throwing shows that I don't know about. Like, why would I know about it? I'm an old man mm -hmm. and they're still doing it. I mean, this is like hardcore shows or, or, or parties or, you know, DJ nights. And I mean, listen, if, if you go, I don't, I can't speak to Toronto as much culturally but in brooklyn you know you can't throw a rock without hitting a dj still i mean everyone's kind of a dj and it's not even really yeah i don't know there there's there there's an affection to it and i'm also kind of making fun of myself because i spent i mean i've spent many many years djing since i was like 18 um so yeah yeah it's it's pointed the knife is pointed towards me as well yeah, I know. I get the knife's pointing towards you, but I think it just in terms of uh, I, I, aging, I think you're you, you brought up earlier forty, and you know your friend obviously being fifty. I think there's a difference in the way what you do is appreciated at forty and fifty. I had a friend one time call me, and he probably doesn't want me to say their name, but uh, a friend called me one night and was just like lamenting the fact that no one's going to take us seriously in our forties, and then in fifties people come back to you and start respecting your work again. <laughs> That's funny. I've never thought about that. I've been asked a few, like in podcasts before, you know, what new music are you listening to? And I, my answer is always the same where it's kind of, if you're, if you're over 40, no one should give a shit what you're listening to. <laughs> <laughs> 
John Peel was able to kind of keep it. No, of course, there's always people that can do that stuff. I mean, Marcus yeah. Shit Robot's a great example. I mean, he's like he's an incredible DJ. Uh, the too many DJ guys, James Murphy, all these friends of mine, Pat Mahoney. I mean, these guys are all older. Amazing taste. Great selectors, so fun to watch play. I mean, it, you know, it doesn't really. It, it was, it's, it, yeah. I was being a wise ass. I guess is the short answer. You know, I'm fascinated by like how like you do eventually age out of the the zeitgeist of what this is, and at the same time, you have to find your own place. Like of of like dance music culture, or just music culture, music in culture in general. Yeah, and like finding your own place to produce it, and still like. Obviously, there's like a drive to make stuff that that keeps people doing it, but at the same time, like also finding where you fit into the the world of it. Yeah, and I think I, I I've personally never had a to my detriment never really had a careerist attitude about music ever. So I kind of just would go where my whimsy would take me from project to project, just whatever I want to work on that seemed cool. And I've had things that I've done decently well and I have things that have eaten massive shits that no one cared about at all you know and I, I I don't know I mean I don't know that there's I think you can't be too calculated about it you just have to I think for me it's such a big thing with music is authenticity if it feels authentically coming from that person even if it's not for me I feel like it can find a home with some people so it's going to resonate with somebody if it if it feels true to the person making the thing if it feels like you're trying to get something going, like cook something up, mm -hmm. then people, it's a little harder, I think. Um, but that, you know, not to keep going back to the DJ stuff, but I also came to mind DJ Harvey, who's one of the great DJs of all time. He's still going, he's still amazing. And, you know, he, and he's never done what's popular and he's, but people love him, you know? I've, and I think there is something to that. Just, just being like, I remember I was DJing, I was opening up for LCD, DJing a, I had to DJ between sets, so I started off, I did my first of two, I just wasn't working. I was kind of like chasing the crowd around, trying to like make them happy. And then I came off stage, and I was like, man, that sucked. And James is like, he's like, just play songs you like. He's like, who cares? And I was like, oh, that's good advice. It's like, you, you really need to trust your taste. And if you start questioning it, I think you get, that's when you get into some trouble. I think as a DJ, you can age there's a path for aging gracefully that's not necessarily there in no, rock. No, for sure. not punk. But you, I mean, you definitely, yeah, no, certainly not punk. But, I mean, you see it, but it is tougher. It's tougher. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, there's people that do it, obviously, yeah. but it is... It's a young, it's a young person's game. Well, because you have to put yourself out there, and I think DJs benefit from being slightly mysterious. Yeah. I, I was watching interviews with... Uh, I'm not going to talk shit about the actual DJ, but there was, I was watching interviews with a very popular DJ that just for some reason showed up on my uh, phone because obviously mm -hmm. it's listening to me and it probably will now feed me more of this stuff. Yeah. And I was just thinking how the demystification of this person is just so much to their detriment because yeah. you, you're afforded the luxury of being mysterious as a DJ. Well, I mean, I had that even... I had that experience when I watched that Sparks documentary, mm. like they were such a mystery to me. I didn't know anything about those guys. I liked those records a lot. And then I watched the documentary and I left it being like, I don't think I like Sparks. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Like, I know too much now. Like, they're not interesting, you know. Kiss without the makeup is not quite as fun as Kiss with the makeup on, you know. But this era is all about Kiss without the makeup. Well, there is so much, and I think I think that comes a lot from, um, I think, from SoundCloud, YouTube, people having direct access to artists. And what a lot of people want is they want to be able to see themselves being able to do... The, I'm just a regular guy. I'm just a... I'm nice. I'm a normal person. And, like, that's the last thing I want from an artist. But they're not, too. It's still that augmented version of reality that we were getting from, I guess, reality TV, but we're getting from Kiss when they're on stage with all that makeup on. Like, my kids will watch these YouTubers or these YouTube families do these things, and they'll be like, oh, it's just great watching a normal... A normal person doing normal things. It's not normal when you watch it. It's like, no. that's lighting. They, they definitely have lighting no, going I know. on. And they're doing, they're doing multiple takes of this shit. Yeah. Like this, they're, this is not real, real. But yet, it's being presented as being real, real. Which Kiss wasn't. I, Kiss no. was saying, it's, this is a fucking fantasy. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you think of shows like The Voice or something, which I think was sort of maybe the, a canary in the coal mine of this whole phenomenon. Of just like, hey, I, I'm just a regular guy off the street, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it, you think about someone like David Bowie on The Voice, no one would turn their chair around. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. It's just, I, it's a natural progression of the way things go with more access when when it, things get democratized. There is an argument to be made for gatekeepers, you know what I mean? Mm. For There is an argument to be made for people with taste choosing artists who are interesting or weird and having faith in those artists. It still exists, but, uh, you know, I mean, we live in a world where, like, Ed Sheeran, I mean, that yeah. sounds like, the music sounds like Running Water, fine. I can see some appeal to, it's, you know, pop music. Who would fuck Ed Sheeran? You know what I mean? I'm sure people do, but it's just not, like, to me, he's not a rock star. He's not a, he's not a, he's not a star. Well, it's, it's, it's like what you like gone wrong, where there's no... There is no popular sphere anymore. And I was thinking about this. I was looking at a friend who has really good taste in movies, their top ten movies, because I'm so fucking out of touch on yeah. on film, uh, even more than music. And I was, like, looking at their list, and I'm like, really, that's... Like, Magic Mike 3 is even, like... In the conversation. Even in the conversation. And I love bad movies. Like, I get off on watching bad sure. movies, but I, that was, like, just unwatchably awkwardly bad yeah that was a very bad film it was they had a zoom call as one of the <laughs> <laughs> well we are I, I just recently rewatched the net with sandra bullock and it's it's like tense typing <laughs> <laughs> such a major plot point in that film uh yeah yeah it it's weird it, it, there is this sort of flattening of culture that's happened um but you know, there's always stuff in the corners. There's always weird, weird things to find. Uh, it's just getting a little bit. And there was weird stuff in mainstream culture. Um, there was there was outsiders in mainstream culture. I mean, like Sylvester is a great example. Outselling the Stones, you know, this giant, you know, trans person performing these crazy disco songs, you know, very. Like not really defining their sexuality, not defining it, but you know, it, it just and then they were the number one on on the the, uh, the 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 pop charts. That was that was like in the culture, and now there's just not as much st stuff like that. 
there's there, not as many weird there's there's not as many weirdos making really really popular music. There, well, I think there are. I think, that, but it's now you can subsist in your own little fan base. Like little Uzi Vert is making weird ass music. It, it's not really what I listen to. Oh yeah. Well, it's, I mean, but it's weird. Hip hop has always been, I think, a place where you can find the most interesting stuff that touches the the popular culture sphere. And I think the things you find that young kids respond to in that world. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of like that. What's his face that I'm going to get the first place. Like kosher that mm-hmm, dude. Mm-hmm. I mean, what a fucking weirdo and it's cool. And it sounds like, it doesn't sound like other stuff. You know, there's so many things like that. I talked to my nephew who was, he's 15 he has no interest in punk music or anything like that, but he's he's interested in hip hop, and he'll be listening to like weird SoundCloud stuff that's really abrasive, aggressive, strange, um, and that I think I think that has been the case for a long time. Like when I was growing up, the regionality of hip hop was so real. Like mm-hmm. you could there you'd find these little micro scenes. It's almost like when you think about how metal is classified in these little micro genres. Hip hop was like that too. You you know, you'd find these different tiny little scenes. Like in one neighborhood of Atlanta, they played this kind of music. You know, and I think that that's still kind of happening. And I think that's interesting. I think that hardcore had that too. A regional identity with certain sounds. Like there's, uh, it comes up on the show, but the difference between uh, epifat pop punk yeah. type stuff, which on the West Coast was popular mainstream music, here was kind of the weird music still in a way even though it was popular yeah but uh, but even more with power violence where power violence on the in the bay area west coast was like oh, yeah. real deal like tag dudes that did tagging like yeah that was that truly was like a very regional micro scene yeah and of course something i became obsessed with because it is and it is and it did have mystery and it was yeah yeah i mean i think i think this stuff still happens it's just it you don't find it as much in popular popular culture well, I think they're, because what you were saying earlier, like they're, the idea of a band breaking through, like a truly weird band getting mainstream attention. Yeah. And people would bring up Nirvana. I think that's people's go-to. I think The Offspring more than Nirvana. <laughs> All right, what about the Presidents of the United States of America? Yeah, that's another one that's weird. Like, listen, really weird. not a good band, but who the fuck would put those guys out now? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, same with... Same with the offspring. Like you look at those weird tunes, bands. Like they're not totally weird bands. The record sounds weird too. Yeah. Nirvana, like, huge hit. Yeah, Nirvana is like a no-brainer. You look at Nirvana, you're like, okay, they, they, I could see these guys can sell. I can market this. Yeah, I mean, and then the, the way that, and this is the, but again, this is the time where decisions were kind of made for the culture at large by executives and record companies. Like I just watched that documentary about Woodstock '99 and the lineup. You know, like. I knew I I was around when Corn was popular, mm-hmm. and I remember them being popular. But I feel like I was still shocked to see two hundred thousand people going apeshit for Corn. Do you know what I mean? The power of MTV back then. Yeah, MTV. and I, I I think I think that and now it's it, it's there that it's a little bit more democratized, so it's a little flatter in a weird way. Because there isn't somebody being like, no, you guys are going to listen to Corn. We're going to play this all the time. This is going to be on the radio. It doesn't happen as much that way. But there are still 
And maybe these are like unconscious machinations that go on, but they're still like, I knew turnstile was going to be huge. Like I knew it was going to break through because it felt like everything was pulling towards that for years. Like it, it took yeah. three records to get there, but it always felt like everything was kind of steering that towards this thing. And there was never like, there isn't that sort of radio programmers like get on K rock. Once you get that hit single on K rock, other radio will pick you up and then yeah. you can do this thing and that thing. There's not that, like you're saying, it's democratized now. So it's not the same sort of past, but path, but there does feel like there's still, I don't know, certain, maybe certain intangibles that you can kind of see where things just kind of definitely. And I, I think a lot of it has to do with, timing and presentation and, 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 you know, luck is a big part of it for some people as well. But yeah, yeah. The turnstile thing is, is I know this is a band that also people really hate on. Um, but to see something like that kind of touch mainstream culture, I think is interesting and it's kind of cool. Um, and it doesn't feel like it's coming from, it does feel earnest to me. Like, it feels like these are kids are tr making stuff they want to make. Like, they're not they're not trying to be something that they're not, to whatever degree. Maybe that's me guessing, but... But yeah, yeah, it is interesting to see that. It's just we don't see a, a ton of it. I mean, hardcore music is having a moment now. Um, I, I think maybe that's because things are shrinking in terms of, like, mainstream culture, where now hardcore looks a lot bigger mm. than it did as the as the water levels are rising in terms of media that's out there. Mm -hmm. Hardcore as a scene, it, it looks a lot larger. And I, th I think the same thing kind of happened with wrestling too, where wrestling went from being this sort of niche part of popular culture to now being such a mainstream part of popular culture. Yeah. People like can see how big it is. And it feels like maybe that's happening with hardcore a little bit too. Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a, a long period of time in my life where I never, when, I never even wanted to say I was in a hardcore band of people who didn't know about hardcore because then it's well what's hardcore yeah you have to explain it. so i was always like i'm in a punk band yeah you know now that's that's changed for sure um yeah i don't know i mean it you know you can't really it's like spitting in the wind to try to you don't want to also sound like an old person complaining about how things used to be better and i don't even know that that's true exactly no. um but yeah it just it seems it seems a little harder to find your way to stuff and um when you have your fingertips are able to touch everything, it's harder to find things that are special to you personally. Yeah, and I don't think we're complaining. No, no. Like that's that's the Maybe, I don't know. No, I don't I don't I don't, <coughs> I don't think we're coming off as complaining, or at least I hope we're not, because I think it's just acknowledging that there is a change. And the fact that it's almost like celebrating the fact that people still find it, people still build it, people still there's still an underground scene. There's still DIY bands. There's still like a, a realness to it because it is getting harder as stuff is getting less special to make something special. Yeah. And I think the pressure builds up in terms of if culture ends up being getting more and more bland, you know, this even goes into film where Twitter will, be screaming and yelling about some Star Wars character, and then the studio will be like, well, we got to put that guy in the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, these idiots are, like, these complete morons on Twitter are, like, deciding how films are made. It's not great. And so I think it builds up pressure where people are desperate to find something interesting, desperate to find something that's unique and weird and outside of these boundaries. And I, and I, so I think it does end up 
creating really interesting art ultimately. And I think it's starting to, we're starting to see that. And you always will see it a little bit, but I think it's going to be like a, it's going to be a big explosion of cool stuff coming because of all this, I think. I would, I kind of long for like what the reviews of Batman or how Twitter would have reacted to like the 89 Batman. Oh yeah. Oh, I mean, the, the well, they, they were so mad about Michael Keaton. There was no internet. But they were yeah. still just like, I'm not seeing this. <laughs> no, People were like protesting movie theaters. Yeah. But they still did it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Because ba back then you could be like, well, fuck that fan base. Like, that. who cares about that fan base? Yeah. No one's going to hear them screaming. Like, like we have to get a Zack Snyder cut because these fucking bedwetters <laughs> are tweeting about it. <laughs> you know? I, watched, I watched all five hours. And I, I did too. Three times God, it's the worst fucking thing. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, it just that stuff. That stuff is like you're not in the you're not in the film business. You know, stay out of this creative stuff. You're not a creative person. You know, you're just you're like a Little Mermaid can't be black. It's like get the fuck out of here. You're a grown up. You know that stuff drives me up a wall. And that and if if and that did that does have a direct effect on you know how a lot of mainstream films are made. Mm -hmm. This kind of. I mean, I think, the, you know, with Star Wars, the reboot, it was so, like, trying to just cater to, like, as many possible Star Wars fans as possible. And it ends up being, like, fun for nobody, basically. And if that gets into real film culture, if that gets into, you know, interesting musical, like, that that stuff I is not going to be good. But it, <coughs> it, it, it has to, kind of, in a way. Because it does affect you. Like, the negative reviews, no matter how... Uh, oh, you mean in terms art. of as an artist, if you read a negative review, you're like, oh, I need to... But that's what I mean. And, sure. and, and I, I think even like the studios as these, not in a John Kerry corporations are people kind of way, but like <laughs> these, these, these studios are, their feelings are their finances. And they're like, well, if we, if we did this, maybe it would work out this time. Like maybe we could get the audience back if we... Yeah, for sure. And I've definitely, you know... And it does work sometimes. But you, you have to be... You have to be discerning about... If I get negative stuff tweeted to me about myself on Twitter, which ha does happen, <laughs> you're I'm pretty quickly easable, easy... It's easily discernible if it's something that is a valid critique or if it's someone who's just angry and wants to lash out about something. Um, yeah. I <laughs> I don't know. I I don't think I don't think yeah. I I feel like crowdsourcing for stuff like this is not I don't think it does work. When does it work? Barbie. You think that was crowdsourced? I don't think I think I think there's and I I know this is a very controversial opinion. This might be the most controversial shit I've ever said on this podcast. Okay. No disrespect to that movie. The movie did obviously an incredible box office. I saw it with my kids. They loved it. Yeah. It wasn't for me no. in that way. No. I don't think they had Damien in mind when they made it. No, the but there there was a, a reference to Kubrick, so I felt like I was served in that way. Sure. There was, sure. A ref, there was I felt like it was a movie that served the audience and this was why it's a successful movie like this is not a criticism it served every audience that it was there for yeah well i have this i have a it's not a hard and fast rule but i have a pretty good rule of thumb so one of the worst things that have ever been invented on earth is rotten tomatoes <laughs> and uh so if a movie is over 90 percent on rotten tomatoes i'm like this is not good this can't be a good film if it's like <laughs> 70% to 50%, I'm like, there's something interesting going on here. 
you know, below 50, you're probably in bad territory. But in that zone, if, if a movie really upsets someone and then it really excites somebody else, that probably means it's more interesting than something that everyone's just kind of like, that's fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. We all liked this. It's less exciting to me. Um, so I often will avoid movies that are, you know, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Does that apply to TV series too, or is that exclusively film? I really have... This is going to make me sound like such a grump. But I'm like, like narrative television, I can't think of a good narrative TV show that I've seen in the past couple of years. I just don't like, like there's not very, to me, I love film because it's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And a series is a beginning, a middle, a middle, a middle, a middle, a middle, and then either they get canceled or they have to come up with something. You know, it's just, it's just, it goes, it doesn't, nothing needs to be, I remember someone trying to tell me to get into Game of Thrones, Right. And uh, they're like, it, it gets good after season three. I'm like, that's a lot of my life. Like, I, so I have to watch a bad show for three seasons, you know? Yeah, but how many Edward movies have you seen? Edward movies? <laughs> Probably two. Really? Okay. Yeah, well, I mean, I like. I've there's, a lot more But there's time also there's also a different there's a difference to camp and there's a difference to enjoying something. There's a pleasure to be had in oddball stuff like Edward and and is a good example of that. Um, but as opposed to just very sanitary television shows that just, I mean, God, I'd rather eat glass than watch Game of Thrones. Oh, I hate Game of Thrones. Yeah. I, but, I, but for me, I hate it because I find it, I find it just so dehumanizing, the level of violence, and I find all that stuff to it just so, and I, I, Lauren will always critique me because she was like, you watch this, you watch that. And no, I'm like, I know. It's just, it's different how it's framed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, everyone's, everyone's got different opinions about stuff. And I also, you know, we've got a, or what did Jerry Seinfeld is the joke that people say life is too short. He's like, life's too long. <laughs> and we've got to fill in our lives with something. And I, I get it. Just I, for some reason, narrative television, there's very few narrative TV shows that are current that I can get down with. Uh, medical Detectives. Was that a show? It was on Netflix. It was, uh, it was the people that did Children's Hospital. Oh, okay. And it's, uh, it's very good. It's unfortunately about uh, a, pa- a pathogen. And leading to a pandemic a little bit, oh, okay. so, but it's very funny. And I mean, there's definitely stuff. I'm not. I, I'm not going to pretend like there isn't TV shows that I watch, but I, I find that to be even. It's one of the harder when when everyone's talking about a show, and then I'm like, this thing, <laughs> what the fuck? I, I found there was like, you're right because I think it's it's changed the way people uh, consume these things like yeah. you're not trying to make things that are like when you worked and you worked at a video store you know what it was like when oh, people yeah. brought back that movie and they're like this fucking sucked and yeah. it's like well too bad you rented it like there's no refunds for taste yeah um th- that there was kind of like this like I, I i committed i'm in for this whereas now it feels like you're just trying to get people to like be like okay with it are you okay with it? You don't care if people yeah. love it or hate it, as long as like it's just okay enough that it gets that eighty. Yeah, there's just this gaping maw for content, and I, you know, I, I found that back in the day when you spend your hard-earned money on a record and you're like, you put it on, you're like, oh no, this is bad, but then you're like, but I paid for this, so you sit with it, and you listen to it over and over again, and you usually find something in there, you know, and I, I think that that's that doesn't happen quite as much anymore, and not to, that's not to say that you should force feed yourself bad. <laughs> bad content just because you paid for it but but that's the thing about the bad records these people thought they were good yeah and i'm sure on some level 
these people producing these I guess there's so many people involved in the production of these TV shows yeah. and, and, and movies that maybe the sense of ownership isn't there in the same way. Yeah. But these people honestly thought these records that we thought were terrible, like, oh my God, this band's like, what the fuck is up with this second uniform choice LP or this yeah, thing yeah. or that thing? These people were putting their heart and soul into it and yeah. putting their love into it and honestly did think, this is awesome. People yeah. are going to like this. They're going to respond well to how we rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. I bought it. <laughs> <laughs> I think by the time I bought it, I'm sure with you, it was already known that it was a... Uh... Yeah, but I was like, I'm like, maybe people are wrong about this. But yeah, yeah. Like the second DYS record. Oh, yeah, I have one. Yeah. That's a good record. I like it. Yeah, I have it. I like it. <laughs> I, I had this uh, uh, person on the other day, Devin Ross. Okay. Who is uh, signed with like Thurston Moore's label and she's kind of blowing up in, in terms of like she put out the single this summer that's getting a lot of hype and she's got a huge following on Instagram mm -hmm. and, and uh, dates Nick Cave's son and is kind of like labeled like an it couple and she's like an it person okay. in fashion and things like that now and uh, she was on the show and, and it was interesting how just different the relationship to culture is um, that I feel that with younger people but also, she brought up that the meet me, she watched Meet Me in the Bathroom, and that was the last real scene. She said that? Yeah. That oh. existed. L-O-L. -L. And she was part... <laughs> she went to smell shows. Obviously, the smell still goes on. But yeah, I yeah. think at the tail end of sort of that big first smell boom... Yeah. ...into sort of like the dying days of mainstream alternative culture yeah. that existed. Yeah. But she pointed to, to that scene as being the last real scene... That existed. God. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I, I think so much about enjoying culture is contextual, right? It's who you're with, how old you were, where you were, how you found it. Um, you know, for example, I, I, am a, I love Minor Threat, and I found them kind of on my own and just listened to them kind of in that solitary. I imagined what that world was like. I've never been to see them play. I've never been to a show that they played. I had a friend who was older than me who worked as a bouncer at a club where Minor Threat would play. And he's like, I fucking hate Minor Threat. Those guys, <laughs> those shows were awful. Those guys were awful. I worked with my boss at the video store. I was playing um, Black Sabbath. And he's like, oh, man, the guys who were fans of Black Sabbath, they would like call me a faggot every day. And like, I fucking hate that band. I hate their fans. And I'm watching it, in a, I'm like listening to Black Sabbath in my own little void. And you create your own narrative about that stuff. And I think it happens gener generationally where, you know, either you're there for it and you've got an idea about it, or you weren't there for it and you contextualize it yourself. So, if you know, you weren't around for whatever she thinks that scene is. <laughs> you might have imagined that it was this kind of magical thing. Um, and yeah, that's fine. You should You should feel that way and enjoy it. Like, that shouldn't... Someone's lived experience shouldn't ruin your reality of enjoying this music or having an idea of what that scene is like or whatever, I guess. I don't know. This isn't very well thought out theory, but... No, but it, 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 
it is interesting because you realize that the people that grew up next to something have a different relationship to it than the people that encountered it post it getting big. Like the, the 90s revival that happened and people were, were like, you know who's awesome? Fucking... <laughs> The Gin Blossoms or something. I'm going to be like, Gin Blossoms oh. are fucking awesome. No, they're not. <laughs> Come are they, on. Oh, wait, are they Canadian? Are they Canadian? No. Oh, okay. Right. No, they're, I think they're from Seattle. Yeah, I but I was thinking. like, I, they're, okay, whatever. Will Gin you? Blossoms have some songs. Okay, fine. But I'm saying, <laughs> I was, you know, as a person who lived through it, I'm kind of like, the fucking Gin Blossoms? You know, yeah, you, I get it. I'm just using them yeah. as an example. Well, but like corn. Corn. Like, people corn, that live sure. through it, when people are like... You see kids in hardcore celebrating Limp Bizkit now, and it's like, that was not it. Yeah, or also... There was way better shit at that time. Even in my local hardcore scene in Connecticut, you'll find people, like, fetishizing the worst bands from that scene that no one liked, and being like, I got the demo tape, I got the demo tape, or whatever. Maybe I shouldn't say their name. (laughs) I'll peep it out. (laughs) But it's... it's, uh, it's one of those things where you're like, you're like, really? This, like, you know. But, again, it, it's, you know, time time recontextualizes things and, and people have ideas about, fantasies about that world and what it was mm-hmm. like and that everybody in the scene was, were all friends and everybody, you know. It's just, I've, I've certainly done it. I mean, I've, I've fantasized about, I mean, I certainly have done it with, like, the youth crew hardcore scene or, or uh, um, you yeah, like, Minor Threat or even... It's like like Roxy music and Bowie and I'm like T Rex. I'm like they're all hanging out, <laughs> and uh, you know I'm sure that that's not true. Um, Maybe but, back then they were in the yeah, '70s when they were all maybe. like you see photos of them all chilling together. No, I mean I think about drugs. like like Iggy and David, like they're my friends. Iggy Pop and David Bowie, um, <laughs> they are my friends. Uh, <laughs> Like hanging out, and you're just like this. These are the two coolest guys, and I'm sure they were nightmares. You know what I mean? If yeah. someone was around them, they're just on coke all the time. And I'm sure they were not pleasant. But I'm like, you couldn't look cooler. The music couldn't be cooler. It's cool. But I have no context for it beyond just looking at photos and listening to records. And I don't know. It's interesting though, because I think that meet me in the bathroom scene <laughs> might be that last geographical scene that people fetishize like that like obviously the smell kind of happened post that and Toronto kind of has a moment in hip hop now but in terms of like rock music because that was the end of or maybe the the explosion of indie culture indie media in terms of mainstream media well it's also it's a bit I mean I lived there I lived through that in New York and there was a lot of cool bands, and it was cool. But these are this is pulling together some disparate scenes that really had nothing to do with each other. You or you're the guy that links them all. I find maybe <laughs> not the Strokes as much. No, I actually I I love the Strokes. I love that first Strokes record a lot, a lot, a lot. But I've never seen them live. Your connection to Julian comes through me when he tried to make out with me. Oh, really? Yeah, I told you the story, right? I don't think so. Uh, when <laughs> the first time they came to Toronto, when they're blowing up. Yeah. Craziest show I'd ever seen at this venue, where the Rolling Stones had played a show. Oh, I think I do remember this. And he, uh, yeah, tried to make out with me backstage. So, there's your connection. There's my connection. There you go. So you are Kevin Bacon. Yeah, Yeah, Kevin Bacon of the of indie sleaze, whatever the fuck it is, (laughs) or they called it. But like you know, like the DFA stuff was completely separate from all this other, from like the yeah yeah yeahs 
but you're the link there, right? Between Nick and Nick. James. Well, we played Panthers played with the IAs many times. And there was TV a lot of, but also there was tour. so many TV on the radio for sure. We, yeah, we toured with, played with, love those guys. And there's, you know, there's lots of great bands that like the Liars didn't quite make the cut there, but they were, they were one of the coolest live bands from that, that scene at the time. I don't know. I mean, I, I haven't seen the documentary. I can't bring myself to do you it. You still haven't watched it? No, I read the book. Yeah. I skipped the chapters about, um, what's that band? Kings of Leon. <laughs> How are they in it? Oh, I guess they were managed by the. <coughs> I've no idea. I don't. I didn't really understand what they were doing in that book, but that's like when you hear about Candlebox in the Seattle scene. It's like really them. They were. Yeah. Candlebox had some songs. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I, so I read it. I read it on a flight, and it was pretty. I mean, I found it to be pretty funny. It is. It's just also. It's funny to hear this kind of historical take on a thing that you were there for. Yeah. And you and everyone's got a different memory of stuff, but there's a lot of things I'm like, that didn't happen. Or, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. What stands out to you as something that didn't happen or to like, there's something, even like a band that like, you're just like that. Well, there is a, there is, there's a, there's like a romantic romanticizing the trajectory of a lot of these bands. Um, and it seems to be, comes across as kind of like, you know, whenever you read it, like, uh, if you read a, a, a book about, or see a documentary about a musician, such a big question for me is how did you get from zero to huge? And it's never answered. Mm -hmm. You know, they always seem to just be like, and then how we dropped our demo off at Capitol and we got a 12 record deal and we're, you know, um, so you never quite see the building process, even in that. Bogdanovich documentary about Tom Petty that's like 12 hours long yeah you see them struggling and then they're famous I there's there's weird shit that always like I, I question like and that's why it's, it's fascinating when you do finally find out how it happens but mm. like how does Rage Against the Machine go from having a demo tape to being on this major label mm. thing that just blows up and it's but then you find out like oh the table tape found fell into the right guy's hands here, you know, or how did yeah. the killers get on this major label as yeah. this band that had nothing released yeah. previously? And then you find out, Oh, this dude knew this guy that was producing the record. And then that's how the song kind of found its way there. But it's always, there's always a connection. Like it, there's nothing that really truly happens organically outside of stuff blowing up on radio. Yeah, I mean, I think there was a lot of organic stuff in the in the New York scene. I yeah, mean, yes, I, 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 I like the Yaz were, you know, they had like a they made their put out their own demo CD yeah. and it was great and people just loved them in New York and the shows were sold out and people were psyched. It felt like internationally it happened because Julian wore the pin on uh, SNL and the next day it was like early days of music internet. Oh, yeah. People were just like, "Who's this band?" Yeah, and it just be snowballed from there. But I'm sure there were more. No, I mean it's it's weird how all that stuff happens. I I you know I think I've told the story on this podcast before, but I when I first moved to New York, I didn't really know anybody, and uh, I knew a couple of the guys who were in Seisha, um, and that band Hot Cross, and they were like, we should play music together, and I so I didn't want to sing in a band at that point. It was you know post Orchid, or maybe c concurrent with Orchid, so I played guitar. And the drummer was this guy, Greg Drudy, who used to play 
he had a label called Level Plane, which put out a lot of, um, you know, stuff from that genre, kind of screamy hardcore stuff. And the name of the band was called She's Hit. It was named after a birthday party song. And I was like, you know, pretty much obsessing with the birthday party at that point in my life. As one does. Yeah. Post-hardcore phase. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and then Greg's like, oh, you like, he's like, you like the birthday party and like Joy Division and stuff. I was like, yeah, fuck yeah, I love that stuff. And he's like, you should see my other band. We're playing at the Mercury Lounge. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. And I went and it was Interpol. Yeah. And there was nobody there. But they were fully formed. Mm-hmm. Like that, I got the demo CD that night. That's basically the first record. Um, a little worse recorded, but it, I'd prefer it in some ways. And I was just like, oh man, I was like, Greg, this band, I feel like this band could be popular. And I mean, they were still like all in the suits and everything. Then they got fired. So yeah. it didn't work out for poor old Greg Drudy. It's like Kiss when you hear about Kiss and you kind of like, because you now you can go on websites and find out every show Kiss ever played. Yeah, and, like and, Kenny's Castaways and stuff. Yeah, yeah when they, when they yeah. put on this makeup for the first time and yeah. that. And it, it feels like these bands are weirdly fully formed. And yeah, and it's uh, they came like out of the box feels like a completed. I, 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 that there's a Talking Heads DVD. If anybody, I don't know, you could probably find it somewhere else, but it's like a documentary about Talking Heads, but it had all this extra stuff on it and it had their first show ever. And they are the Talking Heads. Yeah, you're like, oh, these guys are like out of the box, great, you know. I think that's rare, but it does happen. Yeah, like I was listening to Integrity and I did an interview with Aaron uh, recently. And almost, like, not on the first 7-inch, and maybe not on those demos, but, like, really early on, they click. And it's just, like, certain bands find that thing yeah, real early on. But then there's other bands that, that search for it for a very long time and, and, and change over time. Like, the Beastie Boys, I guess it was a short period of time, but... When they were a hardcore band first? And yeah, yeah. But then they found kind of... And even from where they were in the beginning to where they kind of developed as a, a group... Yeah, for it, sure. It it is a totally kind of different sound. Yeah, I mean we the the new project I'm doing, Jason Green and the Jerk, we just played our first live show um at this place called Baby's All Right in Brooklyn. And it was a ten piece band. We had horns, percussion, uh and the music had been around for a minute. So, you know, the songs were kind of there. But yeah, we were playing like, you know, we we had to, it was the weirdest first show I've ever played. You know, it, it had to be kind of fully formed from the get, like we weren't opening up for somebody. We were headlining a show at Baby's All Right, like for our first show. So did you, so did you have a full record of material or were you doing covers or what? No, we had a, we have, yeah, we have very close to a full record. Yeah. yeah. So, so this is going to be a real band now? Yeah, to whatever degree it's possible. I mean, we're, we're we've got some shows coming up that we're going to do, um, and we're going to do a couple more, two more singles on DFA, and then the full length. So, is it like at this point, what is the driving factor in making stuff for you? Like, what what is like? Is it just to produce something, or is it to express yourself, or is it like live performance? Because I don't know. I see this as someone who's struggling with like what would creativity look like if it wasn't my job at this point? Like I, mm. I, I collaborate with other people and I kind of experience it that way. Mm-hmm. But I, I wonder, I, just, I wonder what my relationship would be like if it wasn't imposed upon me. Yeah, that's a tough question. I think also if you, 
I mean, we've both been in touring punk bands for a huge portion of our lives. I mean, I, I think Orchid started touring when I was 19, 18. I'm 45. <laughs> <laughs> so it does seem to a degree that this is just this is how it is for me. This is what life is like. And I, so I constantly am trying to, that's why I'd like to do different projects too, because I do find it stimulating to work on, not on just one thing. Um, I don't know, man. That's a, that's a, that's a question I have to ask my therapist probably. Are you at a Rollins stage where you're like, I don't want to <laughs> yell in a hardcore band anymore? No, I like yelling in hardcore band. I mean, I love hardcore. I love heavy. I guess music. your orchid's back together. I'm saying Orchid this is you're like, <laughs> your main gig is kind yeah, of coming yeah. back. Again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> No, I don't. I mean, but I did have, I, you know, I did want to do, my musical tastes are, are myriad, so I, I wanted to, and a big part of my social circle are people who do, you know, weird kind of funky dance music, punky stuff, and uh, I wanted to express that part of myself. And I like, you know, I like messing around with old synthesizers and drum machines, and the, it, a lot of that stuff just doesn't fit into the hardcore world as much. I don't know. I mean, no, it does. I, yeah, it does. But I mean, like, it, it's a different kind of, like, you know, it's not. I don't want to be in the Locust or whatever. <laughs> not no shade to the Locust. They're a great band. <laughs> no, I know. No, I didn't mean that when I laughed there. But I'm like, I'm just picturing of how you could do your MS Paint style. Oh yeah, yeah. Modern hardcore band. <laughs> yeah, I think I think I would have to be about. I'd have to be handsome and and twenty would probably <laughs> be the best way to do that. And I'm neither of those things, so I'm I'm glad I'm s i am i grew up in the era where bands like Poison Idea could conspire inspire me because yes. I think now I would be like, Oh, I just don't got There is a I, I still have a thing when I see a, a, an ugly band and they're same, good. I'm same. like nice. Yeah. I'm like, now I know you're good. I root for fat dudes in bands. Oh, of like course. anytime there's a fat person in yeah. a band, I'm like, Yes. Yes. Do yeah. it. Of course. Of course. You gotta support our people. I remember seeing an interview with Phil Collins, and he's like, oh, I'd never make it now in the era yeah, of videos. Yeah, I mean, you look at everyone in Genesis, and you're like, huh? <laughs> I was looking at Gentle Giant the other day. I was showing oh, my kids Gentle Giant. Like, yeah, these guys were huge. Yeah, yeah I know. There's, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I one of my favorite new bands is Blood Incantation. They're like a death metal band from Texas, and they're awesome. They also, and he does, the main guy does like ambient synth stuff as a side project, like new age synth stuff. And he has a, an amazing look. Long hair, bald on top, glasses. And as soon as I looked at him, I'm like, this guy makes good music. Like you could just, you, he gave off this feeling. I'm like, this guy knows what he's doing, you know? And he did feel like from another era, almost. And yeah, yeah, now it's, now hardcore is like, you gotta be fucking pumping weights, dude. Yeah. Everyone's jacked. Yep. Everyone, yeah. Everyone's got a... Well, it's an, an Instagram kind of moment. Yeah. R raising my my kids in this time, like not the younger ones, but certainly with the older ones, just how there's this sort of new thing of us just being into an aesthetic. So you could be a goth kid, mm. but have no relationship to, to goth culture mm -hmm. in terms of the music or in terms of any of the sort of history of this thing other than this aesthetic. Mm -hmm. And then there's some sub-aesthetics within that world. Or, um, I, I don't actually, I've got to be careful how much I talk about my older kid because he would not like it if I was talking about it. Right, sure. <laughs> they're very into skincare and very oh, okay. into to working out and just being more, and they're not even necessarily posting pictures on Instagram or anything like that, but I just feel like 
those pressures that we felt as kids that people were like, oh, MTV, bad distortion of body image, those things are hyper accelerated now. Yeah. No, I think that that's, that's very true. I remember it seemed there was always like jacked guys in hardcore. Fury of Five, Stickman. Yep. yep. <laughs> but I mean, that, you know, now I, I, I felt like in the past five or so years, every band is fucking giant. It's like giant muscle dudes. Yeah, there's a lot more, a lot more awareness, I guess, also about working out and just we've got on our phones like an Apple step counter. Like yeah, we're all just constantly yeah. bombarded with quote unquote health, depending yeah. on what your definition of this or stuff is. Yeah, but yeah. but so I I can only imagine that's going to have an impact and seep into to hardcore. But hardcore felt always such like an anti aesthetic. Especially, I, I think the time we grew up in hardcore was part of this weird glitch in the Matrix where you look at the 70s and we talked about Bowie and Iggy mm. and these aesthetic kind of gods that were kind of the forefront of proto-punk type yeah. thing. And even that first wave of punk where everyone's kind of very much dressed up. But we were, by the time the 90s rolled around, you could show up to the shows in whatever the fuck you wanted. No, that's very true. Yeah, that's very true. And and it was definitely, and I know in Connecticut it was, like, there was a ska band that would play on the show, and then it'd be a hardcore band, and then it'd be a weird street punk band. You know, there was a lot of that stuff. And it was kind of like, especially if you come from a smaller scene, or take what you, everyone, come on in, you know, we want, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I dressed like a complete lunatic at those shows, <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Youth Crew, though, was... Youth very, Crew was very aesthetic. Very aesthetic. And they're all jacked as well. They're yeah. even more so now. It's, those guys are... Yeah, there was very much... Uh, even, like, Hardline. I remember, like, Hardline having strong man competitions. And yeah. And Hardline yeah. taking protein powder, vegan protein powder. Yeah. And so much of that, you know, their, 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 the culture of Straight Edge 2 was health, you know. Like, your body is important. Your body is a temple. Like, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was more of the McDonald's straight Yeah, edge. yeah, yeah. I only ate French fries. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm, the, I'm a Papa French fry chip, vegan. Papa chip vegan. Yeah. It was a... Uh, it was a lot harder to be vegan back then. No, for sure. I mean, I remember there were the there was Taco Bell. You could get bean burritos. And then the only place that had a veggie burger was Chili's. It had a bean burger. It was like the only place that I could you could get veggie burgers. They weren't in the grocery stores or anything like that. I know, like, this is a controversial topic <coughs> in, in punk and hardcore these days, but the idea of, like... Uh, certainly Taco Bell's doing a lot of hardcore commercials oh, yeah, yeah. these days yeah. and, and, and references to hardcore and punk. I feel like that is a natural marriage in a way. No, I mean, it, it was definitely, Taco Bell was a huge part of hardcore culture for me growing up. <laughs> definitely huge still. I think yeah. it's still, when I'm on the road and I can't afford Chipotle it's, and I get down to the Taco Bell days of per diem, <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. grateful that they have those bean burritos. Uh, I, I feel like I brought it up on the podcast before, but Panthers were sponsored by Taco Bell <laughs> yeah, Bucks. Yeah. We uh, we ate a lot of Taco Bell. I meant to say we should bring Jeff on today too. We could call oh, yeah. him in. Yeah. On the uh, on the show. Uh, he, yeah, you should you should have Jeff on. I know we should. Have, I want to have him on because uh, and then we can do a splits with the two of you just roasting each other. <laughs> I'm sure he's got a lot to say. Do you feel at peace with Panthers now? Because I feel like. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> do you feel at peace with Orchid now? In a way, a different way because. I feel like I've followed the journey that's come to this reunion just through our conversation yeah. in the last few years. And I think in the beginning, there was a lot of trepidation. Yeah. 
and maybe we even had the, I guess it was during the pandemic, I think we first started talking about that stuff too, but you did feel like there was sort of a, I don't know, it just felt like you were like a little uneasy with it. Yeah, I still am, to be honest with you. I mean, I, I, I've, yeah, I'm still uneasy about it. And, uh, I haven't totally come to terms with it, but there was, I mean, you were big, I, I've talked about this in a couple of their podcasts that I've done recently, but people are asking why, what was the change of mind? But one of the things was a conversation you and I had when you said to me, do you still like those guys? And I said, yeah. And then you said, do you like the songs? And I said, yeah. And then you said, what's the problem? Mm. And I was like, mm. <laughs> that's a good point. <laughs> and then our bass player, Brad Wallace, he said, you know, he, he was, he was nervous about reuniting too. He's like, but I don't think on my deathbed, I'm going to say, I'm glad I didn't reunite. And I was like, mm, that's also a good point. Yeah. There's stuff that I'm excited about with it and there's stuff that I'm scared about. And, um, uh, it's going to be, it's going to be strange for sure. And I'm asking for trouble is the other part of the story. That's the thing I'm looking forward to the least. <laughs> How do you feel you're asking for trouble? Uh, uh, internet abuse. You think? I mean, I get it already, to some degree. Yeah, and it's gonna yeah. get, it's gonna get it's gonna worse. Get heavy, you think? Yeah, and it might not always be abuse, but it's gonna be like a lot of, you know, judgy shit and like memes I don't understand. Yeah, and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, um, and you know, I, I know how it is with the. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, people are gonna be unhappy with, the venue you choose or how much the tickets are. Why aren't you playing in? You know. In Albuquerque, you know, the, all of the comments are, why aren't you coming here? Why aren't you coming here? Why aren't you coming here? No. And, and so you, you know that there's, there's going to be people, you can't make everybody happy. So the idea is basically to do the best we can for ourselves to feel comfortable playing and like pick venues that, you know, do all ages shows, make sure there's no barricades, um, you know, try to do our best to keep tickets out of the hands of second market sellers and stuff like that and then if you know if it feels it can't be super authentic to what orchid was because we never did shows like this before done shows like this before um but we want to try to make it as feel as good as possible and feel as true to kind of the spirit of the band as possible well that like you're we were talking about earlier this is the uh the the way it affects art and the way it affects the way you do things is the fact that you do hear from everyone that it's like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? In a way that filmmakers didn't have to hear it. Yeah. If, if you made the net and people thought there was too much typing, just don't read the paper. Yeah, yeah. And probably the studio would tell you that it wasn't working out too well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but now it's, it's beamed into you. It's like it's going to affect you in the same way it's going to make you want to work out if you're seeing every other kid work out and every one other kid talking yeah. about it. Well, and also, you know, I have my own, I have a, we have an orchid Instagram page and then I have a page that's for me, but I, you know, I use it to promote stuff I'm working on. It's not like a fully personal page or anything. So it's put open to the public. So people, you know, work their way from the orchid page over to my page in the DMS. How come this, why aren't that, you know, <laughs> stuff. Um, and I'm just kind of, I think the only DM I responded to was a, a kid who was doing a fanzine for about Hampshire College Hardcore, who went to, was going to Hampshire, and I was like, yes, I will do an interview with you. <laughs> and I think that's, otherwise, I haven't answered anything. It's, it, yeah, because it's, people feel, 
a sense of ownership over things, especially things you didn't necessarily experience. Yeah, and there's an entitlement. I think people feel an entitlement to a lot of things that uh, they don't necessarily... It's maybe misguided. Um, And also, it's you know, I understand something's important to you. You don't want to see it fucked up either, you know, as a fan. And so I could see... I mean, if I was a fan of Orchid... And then this came up, I'd be like, what the fuck? You know, maybe, you know, who knows? Um, but I can understand people being trepidatious about it or, or, or cynical about it. You know, it's just the nature of the thing. So I think I just have to focus on it being fun for me and good and, and, and fun to spend time with the guys and, and uh, play some shows. Well, and I think I feel I at times in my life have definitely been judgmental of things that I had no right to be in terms of other people's art. Of like, course. Looking at Ian McConaughey, <coughs> like, why isn't he doing Minor Threat? Why Why is this Fugazi record? Like, I, I don't I don't like this thing. Like, it's not my place to say. It's not my place to say that the the Uniform Choice next record's like a, a departure record or a sellout record. It's what they were doing. It's what they wanted no, to do. But you, you have... you you become really attached to artists and, and, and music is a big one where things can feel very personal. It can have, you can hear a certain song at a certain point in your life or breakups happening or someone's passed away and, and you get really tied to it. You know, you get really attached to it. And, uh, so when you, that artist does something that you don't, that doesn't fit into that picture of them, that can be upsetting. And, you know, I see it, with like doing the LCD stuff, like traveling around with those guys, I mean, people really feel ownership over that band. And so whenever they do anything, people are like on top of it, you know? And I, I used to hear James complain about certain things and I was like, I'm like, I, yeah, come on. And now I'm, I'm like, oh, okay, I understand. I mean, also the fact, he, you know, he's got the, he has the wine bar in Brooklyn and I just opened up this bar in Toronto and now, through the through the Instagram pipeline, people know that I'm there, and I work there like fairly regularly. I'm at the bar, so I've had people come just to punish me about Orchid at the bar. It's like a, <laughs> <laughs> and then I texted James. I was like, I was like, I can see why you don't work the floor at Four Horsemen. He's like, he's like, oh, never ever would I do that. <laughs> I mean, obviously he he's got it much worse than me. Like he, you know, they're they're a huge band, but um, but yeah, yeah. Then people feel feel a connection to you that they don't you know you don't know them you've had that you know people get yeah. people get very passionate about certain things and yeah and then you do you, I feel a responsibility to make like sure that those interactions go okay like people walk away feeling satisfied but it's hard to know it's hard and I think it's <coughs> I think because I never went away it's also different I think the fact that people have a relationship with Orchid that developed independent from you as a person. Yeah. And, and or maybe they followed you through other projects, but like you were kind of, Orchid was free to kind of develop organically in people's imaginations on a certain level. And that's the, by never going away, people saw me get fat and old and ugly <laughs> and people saw me get um, stupidly embarrassing at different stages and people really, <laughs> in a warts and all so fucked up decline. <laughs> no. I mean I, I I think that there are a lot of people who, you know, 
I mean, you can you can go on ice cream and you can see what I look like. I mean, it, you know, I'm a lot older. It's a, it's just a, it's a different thing. My main one of my, I guess my main trepidation has always been, am I going to be killing the what's appealing about the band, the mystery, right? People's imagination of what this thing is or was or could be, just like watching YouTube clips or whatever. And that's something I don't. I want to try to maintain that to some capacity. I've got ideas about how to do it, but um, yeah, that's a that's a big one for me because there is something, like I said, with the Sparks thing. Sometimes the less you know, the better. Yeah. And you create your own narratives, and and you give these people personalities, and you give these people motivations that they may or may not have, and it works for you. And then if someone's like, no, 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 it's like when someone explains lyrics to a song. When someone's like, oh, you know, um, my mother died, and then this song really spoke to me because I can tell these lyrics are about someone passing away, and then someone's like, no, no, it's actually not about that. It's about, I was in a car accident and whatever. And then you're just like, what? And now the thing's ruined for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think having, letting there be some mystery to it is important, I guess. But I think you bring up Sparks. They were, they're from an era where you were still afforded to have that mystery and I would love to be in a position or successful enough where you could you know afford not to work the floor yeah. at your bar <laughs> or to go on Instagram and have to be like yo here's what I'm doing yeah right now but maybe that's also why this era is people are more into authenticity or perceived authenticity at least because there is that sense that you never go away now. Like you're always going to be present with people. And so they're going to see you yeah, all the time and, and in your real life and see it. But yeah, that would, I would love, holy shit. And my number it would take to walk away. Isn't that high? If people are sick of me, I just feel like you know, kick in a couple bucks a month and I'll yeah. disappear forever. Yeah. A, a Patreon to get me to leave. Patreon <laughs> to get me to leave. <laughs> It's not the worst idea. Yeah. <laughs> people dislike me so much they pay me money to not not go outside. There are certain people I would contribute to a Patreon to leave. I would. There, I can think of a few. Maybe that'll be the new thing. It's not a bad idea. Like the democratization of media's gotten. Maybe such... we need. Yeah, we need a name for this this specific Patreon. It's gonna have its own company. Yeah, yeah. Like the uh, the blacklist. No, oh, that could be good. The. Uh... I'm, I'm sure that magazine, we could probably get the name off that magazine real cheap now. I bet. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good, I think that is, I think it's a moneymaker. I think it's a moneymaker. I think it might be better than trying to get people to pay for me to do things for them. It's going to be not to do things you for threaten, them. You'd be like, I'm going to come to your house. Yeah. You. They're gonna, and I'm gonna just going to talk to you. I'm just going to come and punish you at your doorstep. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and clear this up. <laughs> That's what I feel like anytime someone meets me, I feel like at the end of it, they come away uh, like a little more demystified with the whole celebrity thing because they're like, wow, that guy, that's it? That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's a weird, those are weird interactions that I, and I you know, every, I don't think anybody can like live up to the expectation of what the person you know what I mean I don't know I think sometimes people are like oh well we'll be end up being friends or I'll get this from them or that you know mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. hard you can't and people have their own ideas about all kinds of stuff that you can't control but yeah 
Yeah, I think I'm. I'm, I'm probably have de- demystified a few people here. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I feel like the the punk thing is also, and that's it's 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 it is a demystification. Well, that was all. That, I mean, we you know we played on the floor, and we you know you know I sold the merch. Yeah, you know there was never this. It was space. never kiss. No, and there was never this space between the audience and the band, and we were very much about like we're all the same, even though whatever, and uh, yeah. Yeah, but that's, you know... And that hasn't changed. Like, you're still entertaining people that come to talk to you about your band. It's not like you've put up no. that wall. And I think that's the biggest thing. More than more than any other factor of, of punk and hardcore is the fact that, like, you never put up that wall. Yeah, it's a, you're still a, an approachable person. You're, like, you're trying to... You're positing that we're all operating on the same level. We're all people. We should all be able to talk to each other. And you know, it's all bullshit in edifice there's like we're all just insecure people and yeah. some of us found a way to like turn it into something and yeah but it's it, every, everyone's got those <laughs> insecure no, emotions sure. and the bad reviews affect the most famous people as much as it affects the you know kid just looking at you know the, the review of their first project of course and i mean I, I think i don't know if you have this but i have this gift for if even if the review is almost entirely good if it feels like there's one shady line in it i'm like and that's all i can focus on <laughs> yeah of course of uh, course there are reviews and lines that i've like tempted i've been tempted to write into lyrics for years i'm yeah. like oh i should address that <laughs> critique in a song yeah. why would you do that yeah. <laughs> like do you think yeah i do like the idea of having a I, there my friend has a bar in Brooklyn called Doris. It's a great bar in Bed-Stuy. And he made uh, coasters that had their wor- like lines from their worst Yelp reviews on it. It's like, too loud, too crowded. It's like, really funny. <laughs> I do like that, kind of in, like leaning into some of that stuff a little bit, but it's hard to do it without seeming, you know, petty, obviously. It is. And it's, it's and hard to like, it, it's hard to just be in a band and not be petty. I remember reading in uh, Sonic, uh, Sonic Life, fanzine as we were mm-hmm. talking about before we went on air the mm-hmm. sonic youth fanzine mm-hmm. this interview with pavement mm-hmm. and they were talking about how someone wanted tickets and it was someone who was super mean to them in high school and just being so stoked to like deny them getting them tickets yeah yeah on this thing and they're sort of and i remember reading it as a kid being like oh my god one day yeah 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 oh one day yeah, i'll be yeah. able to do this and, and not be petty when this whole thing was built on pettiness to begin. i know i know <laughs> yeah that is funny. I mean, I've definitely, I've certainly had fantasies like that. But of course, the people who uh, were mean to me in high school have zero interest in any yeah. of that. <laughs> they were never in a cool shit. They were not gonna. They're not gonna be interested now. They weren't then. Unless you're Nirvana, they're not really gonna come. Down I'll have again. to like go to a reunion and be like, "Guess what, guys? Like, bring my records. Make them watch YouTube clips." I would. I don't, I know people like go to reunions. I know it's such a part of pop culture. Yeah, I couldn't imagine a, a like why Worst the fuck thing. would I want to go to? A I reunion? went to one. I went to one. I went to my five year because I was home and uh, my two buddies, Jeff Garlock and and Eric Fukmanis, who I played music with. All I ask with, they were gonna go, and I was like, so I just went on a whim, and I was like, worst, worst idea, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> worst idea. <laughs> it's a. Uh... It is a trope, though. It's once you get successful, then you go back to your high school reunion. But now I'm like, we're at our like fucking 
35th high school reunion or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, now it's really sad. Now it's like catching up on... Yeah. yeah, everyone's just like, yeah, dying and stuff. Yeah, it's not a good, not a good time. <laughs> the romantic part of this, <coughs> yeah. I'll get them when, is long since passed. Yeah, no one cares. Now it's just regret. Yeah, and no one cares at all. <laughs> this is where my life's at. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But your life, you're, you're way better at adulting than I am. So, you know what? Hats off to you. I'm better at adulting? Yeah. Well, I've got the kids, obviously. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty adult. Yeah. It's pretty adult. Not if you ask them. <laughs> uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I think you're doing, I think you're doing great. Thanks, buddy. Congratulations on the new, uh, the new record. Thanks. And uh, congratulations on the reunion. Yeah. Congratulations on the bar. Thank you. My gosh, it's a huge year. Three things all happening at the same time. Not my plan. Meant to spread them out. But this is what they call a drop in the biz. It's a lot of drops. You're doing a lot of drops yeah, this year. It's a lot of drops. It was supposed to be a drip, but it turned into a drop. Thank you, Jason, for coming on the show. And you're right there. Jason will be back at some point in the future for more. Hanging, hang, hanging out in the basement. Best place in the world. Weird smells, but a lot of cool stuff to look at. Uh, check out Jason's stuff, as I mentioned off the top. And uh, speaking of things to check out, check out on the next episode from the amazing Legends L7. Jennifer Finch is on the show for, dare I say, one of the one of the all-time episodes of Turned Out of Punk. And uh, I can't wait for you to hear it. And that is coming out on the next uh, next one. So much good stuff in that episode. It's exciting. That's the end of the show. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives and issues of indigenous peoples all over the world matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect their rights and and their safety. Stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths, different races, different nationalities, because we're not talking about politics. It's just basic human rights. People deserve to be able to live free from hate, violence, and discrimination. If there's organizations that are affecting positive change in your world, get involved. Donate your time, donate your money, because uh, it, it can feel better when you get involved. And speaking of getting involved, start a band. Start a punk band. Anyone can do that shit. Start putting on shows, start making flyers, just, just do something in the punk scene, to quote Tony Urba. Paraphrase Tony Urba. And uh, because this scene gets better when you get involved. Speaking about things that need your involvement, Donate your organs, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them. And I've seen the miracles they perform. Sign your organ donor cards where you can. And try meditating. It works for me. Maybe it'll work for you. It took me a long time to work for me. I didn't believe in it. Like, you know, people have been doing this thing for centuries. But uh, I didn't really believe in it. Now, you know, it works. And I, there's no specific practice that I'm pushing on you. Just try uh, breathing and shutting off your brain a little bit. Well, that's me. Well, that's me. That's it for me. I'm going to shut off my brain now. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Stay safe. <laughs>